thanks for joining the SoarCast, where we talk about drones, manned aircraft, and satellites, and how they relate to geospatial products found on the SOAR platform. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the SoarCast. This is Darren, and I'm here today with Aaron Klingeman, and he is with Lucent Systems. Good day, Aaron. How's it going? I'm doing all right. How are you doing today, Darren? Very good. All things considered in the current status and lockdown, but uh, we're kicking on, and it's great that we can have um, you know the SoarCast and interact with people um, and, yeah, share with our, our audience. So, um, for those of you who haven't heard of Lucent Systems, I'm going to let you give a brief intro what is Lucent Systems? Sure. Uh, well, first, thanks for having me on. Um, it, like I said, everyone's doing this from home now, so it works out pretty well for that. Um, yeah, Lucent Systems is a company that um, another guy and I started uh, about five years ago now. Um, I'm, the, I'm the co-founder and the CTO of Lucent, and we started the company about five years with the intention of bringing um, some new camera hardware to market, specifically for UAVs when we first started off. But uh, as things go, we've evolved um, quite a bit since then. Uh, we primarily provide um, camera hardware um, from our own design, and we also, um, in conjunction with that, provide um, a full suite of image processing ser uh, services to our customers. Yeah, well, thanks, Aaron, for that. Um, and that's definitely some things we're going to hit on uh, being a UAV pilot myself and the drone father who's doing our audio, uh, we're always keen to know about uh, our options out there. And we do use sort of off the shelf um, tools, but um, as we're learning, there's um, just expanded capabilities um, when you throw a bit more kit at it. So we'll definitely um, dig deeper into the, the systems that you're building. How did you come up with the name Lucent? Yeah. Um... It's kind of always a challenge, isn't it, when you're looking to come up with a company name? It needs to sound kind of techy or edgy, but it can't be like too out there or difficult to spell or difficult to people to, for people to pronounce. So it it kind of I think evolved from um, the word lucid a little bit. Um, and obviously, there's some other camera manufacturers out there, but uh, we started playing with letters and names and the way things sounded, and it kind of just came out. It doesn't actually mean anything in particular. Uh, it's not short or it's not an acronym for that. So it's, uh, it's a nice, easy to say thing when you use it by itself, just Lucent. Yeah, well, very good. Um, and where are you guys based? Uh, we're based in Portland, Oregon, United States. Uh, we're in the St. John's neighborhood um, down by the river. Okay. And um, so you've, you've mentioned that you do uh, two things. You, you started in the, in the hardware space. Um, but maybe you can you can tell us um, just sort of briefly hardware space and, and what are you mentioned the services. What are the services that you're providing? Uh, yeah, so the services are primarily related to image processing, specifically how to take all of this aerial imagery and help distill it down into something that's manageable for analysis. Um, so we don't necessarily do as much analysis of the imagery that's often you know kind of application specific but we'll help prepare data products um, for those for those tasks okay and and that would include uh, 3d orthorectification so for uh, myself and and those um, 
simply, if I was to ask you, what is orthorectification? What is orthorectification? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, it's it's the core technical capability or uh, core technical um, requirement for producing maps that you can measure stuff off of, right? So what we need to do is we need to take all of these images that have some amount of distortion in them or they have different parallax from looking at things at different angles and the process of orthorectification stitches all these together and removes that distortion. So you end up with a, a map that looks as if you were taking the taking it from straight down on top of it. And more importantly, that all of the, um, the dimensions in it are accurate. You can measure things on it. Um, so that's that's the orthorectification is kind of distilling this 3D model or this that is the world when you're taking pictures of things into something perfectly flat and straight down so it can be used for maps. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And thank you. You also used another phrase, uh, parallax, and and you also mentioned distortion. So could you give us a an idea of, of say the amount of distortion um, with sort of a I'm going to use like a, a DJI. Um, camera on say a phantom 4 or or mavic pro mm -hmm. um those are those use a common um sensor i think it's available in other drones as well um can you sort of identify and, and give us an idea of how much sort of distortion kind of how that happens versus um a camera that is made specifically for um for mapping yeah so that's a good question um a lot of the distortion that we're talking about here is usually a result of the um uh, the design around the actual optics of the, of the, that are sitting in front of the image sensor itself. So uh, this is usually most pronounced and easiest to see in uh, lenses that are really wide angle. So if you've looked at GoPro imagery, for instance, um, and you've you know taken a look at that video, you can tell on the outside edges how the whole thing kind of looks warped on the outside. And uh, that is the distortion. It's this sort of um, pin cushion type, this, um, uh, distortion of the imagery that basically has to be accounted for when you're stitching them together. Yeah, and I, I'm going to make a, a bit of an assumption. Maybe you can clear it up. Um, I, I, you know, effectively, the amount of distortion if you're if you're taking a photograph straight down, the amount of distortion at the center of the image is is nil, if you will, or, yes. or very close to nil. But then, as you move further out towards the edges, um, you can you can envision that it's it's um, asymmetric in terms of the distortion because you're dealing with a circular lens presented mm -hmm. in a, at a square, <laughs> a mm -hmm. square picture. Very true. Uh, yep. Yeah. Okay. So um, it would be really interesting and I'm going to go hunting on the internet for um, sort of a graphic that, that says, um, you know, as you move in this direction, the, the sort of uh, curve for distortion goes up. Whereas I imagine as you go out towards the corners, it, it goes quite high as, a, as, as opposed to going say uh, directly, orthogonally from um, the center. Yeah, yeah, no, you're totally right. And um, for the wide angle lenses, it's a lot higher. And a lot of times the easiest way to kind of measure this or get an understanding for how much distortion is like how far a pixel got moved, right? So, you know, if it was a fairly high focal length lens and the distortion's pretty minimal in it, the, you know, you might actually only be moving the pixels on the far corners, only like a few, right? Like maybe two or three pixels. It'd be kind of hard to just determine it. But if you look at like a wide angle, you know, there could be 10, 20, 30, 40 pixels of, um, of distortion in the corners. And that's kind of like an elongation that stretches out the sides to do that. Well, which, which brings up another uh, question for myself. I know that when we're using our, um, 
you know, they're off the shelf drones. Mm -hmm. um, the recommended uh, overlap as you're taking successive images to build mm -hmm. a map from mm -hmm. is as much as 80% front overlap mm -hmm. and as much as 60% side overlap. Mm -hmm. Now with a proper, um, you know, uh, camera, and maybe you can give me the term, so quit saying sure. proper camera, mm -hmm. mapping camera. Um, with, with, with the proper setup, the optimized setup, um, do those values go down significantly, the overlap values? Um, so first of all, the, on terminology, um, you know, the, the cameras are all fundamentally kind of the same approach, right? They're a lens, they're an image sensor on the backside, and they, um, and they form images by projecting the light through the lens. So there's not really fundamentally anything different between like a DJI drone versus the phone on your, the camera phone you might have in your pocket versus uh, one of our cameras. Uh, what, where it becomes a little bit more interesting is like how well calibrated they are and um, how well you can characterize the distortion and the rest of what we call the, the camera intrinsics. And these are the properties that kind of represent what this whole, what the, the what the mechanical and or the optical inside of the camera looks like. So we uh, also hear this referred to as a metric camera sometimes. Um, and basically these basically amount to fully calibrated cameras. So um, that's kind of one of the things that we provide with our systems that you wouldn't necessarily get if you just pulled out your, you know, the phone on your, uh, the camera on your phone. So um, while they're fundamentally the same, it's usually a matter of like how well the optics are built and how well they're calibrated. Um, so that's that. They hopefully that kind of straightens that out a little bit. So um, to the second part of that question on the overlap, um, there's a number of reasons that that's done. Um, one of the biggest reasons is simply that these additional views on the ground. So if you have like 60 or 80 percent forward overlap. Now you have like four or six times as many pictures of a single spot on the ground. And one of the big reasons for doing that right now is um, that you can extract 3D information from that. So in the process of producing a map, you're also getting a bunch of 3D data products out of it, DEMs and elevation models and that sort of thing. So a lot of times the biggest drive for that is simply um, the 3D data products. Um, that being said, it is possible to process a data set that is very, very minimal overlap. Let's just say, hypothetically, you flew it and it's only got 10%, right? There's just barely enough um, overlap to be able to connect the images together. Um, where it kind of becomes a problem is back to your original question about orthorectification. We're trying to make this map distortion free from terrain and everything else. So in these areas that don't have enough overlap, and um, we have to find some 3D information from somewhere else um, to do the orthorectification properly. Uh, if you just assume that, it, that everything in between those two images is flat, which is often not the case, you can certainly make a map out of it and you might have some stitching errors, you know, roads might not line up perfectly. Um, so while you can certainly reduce uh, the overlap down, you often don't really necessarily buy yourself anything except for possibly a little bit less uh, processing time and you'll definitely lose some quality on that, on the final ortho mosaics. So um, that's kind of why you do the, uh, those, those sorts of overlap numbers typically. Okay. Um, so we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk uh, more about your your service your services um, offering in terms of the uh, image stitching and orthorectification. Sure. So, um, 
do you is it do you have another let's say uh, trade name for the let's say the the, the application that you're using um, in house for that? Uh, not yet. Um, so okay. a little bit of background um, and kind of explain why we got to where we got with <laughs> with image processing. Um, when, if you recall, when we first started talking off, um, we said that we started a company to build cameras. And you're like, well, oftentimes, you know, you don't want to, I mean, these are two totally very large separate things that a company can do, let alone both of them at the same time. So how did we end up doing that? Um, and basically what, what happened was we started the company with the idea we're going to build cameras. And we did. We actually built uh, our first 8 megapixel camera from scratch. You know, we bought the image sensor and built everything up around it. And um, kind of what happens is when you're in a startup like this, you're, you're going after your first customer, right? You're like, you need to find your first customer and you need to secure them and you need to do everything you can to make them happy. And what we ended up doing was with our first customer, we built, um, instead of just a single color camera, we ended up building um, multi-spectral systems for them. They needed, um, this was for agriculture primarily. So they needed color, they needed thermal, and they needed um, near infrared to produce all these sorts of typical ag agriculture products. And what happened was, um, you know, we put the system together, it produced great images. Uh, it had, you know, total of six different cameras in it. And the next question they came to us with was, how do we turn this into a map? <laughs> so we're like, okay, well, you know, our, my background and from uh, my previous work experience over the last 15 years or so has been in that space in, um, in aerial image processing. So I'm like, okay, well, we're not really doing that yet, but I hear some tools. So what we did is we said, we set them up with, you know, helped evaluate pics for you, we helped evaluate Agisoft PhotoScan and some other off the shelf stuff. And we're like, okay, this, these tools can be used to do our image processing. Uh, and that worked for a while. We started Lucent back in 2015, and we did that for two or three years. Um, but what happened was we kind of really started pushing the capabilities of these packages to do um, arrays of cameras and multispectral image processing, especially when it comes to combining um, color and near infrared and thermal and all these other bands together. Um, these packages kind of quickly started falling apart, or we were spending more time helping our customers work around problems with them than um, than doing it ourselves. So it kind of we slowly started building up more and more code and support and services around these open source packages. And at some point, you're like, well, why are we even using this to begin with? Um, and uh, basically, in the last year or two, we've um, completely removed the need for any sort of um, existing commercial package in our workflow. And now I've been able to build a more rectification image processing system that is highly tuned and highly capable of dealing with multi-spectral, multi-swath, and all sorts of complicated imagery data sets that are a little bit more difficult to deal with. Um, and of course, as you get that far down, throwing drone imagery into it is a little bit more straightforward. So um, that's a little bit of the background kind of why we did that and why we got into that. Uh, but so in that being said, uh, we haven't been um, pushing it as a separate service um, very much lately. And we've been using it as more of a, um, a support system for our existing customers. But that's changing over the next year, of course, as we're working more with SOAR. Yeah, well, I think that's, uh, that. I mean, that, that, that really makes sense to me. For example, when I use the uh, cloud-based um, rectification or mapping utilities, 
they are optimized for cloud usage. Um, you have certain options and you get uh, predefined products, if you will. Um, the interactivity is 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 limited. It's um, you know there's only so much they can offer uh, on those systems without, I guess, watering it down. Not watering it down, but overloading the user. Um, they're they're quite simply made so that um, noobs like I was when I started doing this could could kind of feel their way around and 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 figure out what it's doing, and you know, um, and off off you go. But then. Um, you know, taking a step forward, I've also used the the desktop applications, and certainly the uh, capabilities are much higher, and the ability to bring in um, things like uh, maybe we'll touch on this. Um, I know that you guys are now doing it. Uh, Post processing kinematic correction of the uh, positional um, uncertainty and so associated with the GPSs. So um, those those and they they also. Some of those systems allow you, and I know that Lucent systems as well, allow you to um, use non-standard cameras. So a packaged drone um, is built as a fully integrated system. And mm -hmm. having built um, my own autonomous boat, uh, I, I wouldn't do it again. If I could, <laughs> it was fun, but if I, could, if I could pay for one that did what I wanted to do, which I can, um, I probably would go that route. I fully understand it, how mm -hmm. it works, but... Um, I was a good to, learning experience. You know, yeah, it's a good learning experience, yeah. Yep. Um, and which got me to where I am now, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that your his, your story is is quite interesting. So the the uh, niche or the 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 advantage of of using um, something like Lucent is of course that um, it sounds like you're quite adaptable and and you can use um, you know, it, I've seen some of the, the imagery on your website in terms of the amount of sensors and cameras mm -hmm. that you can array. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just a, a sort of um, things that things that would be interesting to me. What's two questions? What's the most interesting thing you have modeled from the air? And two, um, what's the biggest in terms <laughs> of aerial extent? Um, yeah, so I, right off the top of my head, I can talk about the biggest one. Um, mm -hmm. It was this. It was probably close to a hundred thousand images in a single collect. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head my uh, the actual area on the ground, um, but from a manned aircraft, you can imagine how big this would be. I mean, we're talking you know tens of thousands of acres, if not more. I don't I don't remember exactly how much it was to be honest. Uh, we're talking sort of county size level collects. Um, where you might, you know, not doing state level, you know, we don't do, we haven't done anything quite that big, but county level for sure. Um, and then in terms of the most interesting thing, um, I don't know if I have a good idea right off the top of my head, so I might be able to come up with something if we come back to it. Okay, uh, we've, yeah. We've, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we, we did, when we first started, we did, uh, I think part of the reason I'm having a difficulty with answering that question is when we started in the first couple of years, we did so much agriculture work and I have so many pictures of crops and they get really old really quick. I mean, they're very valuable to have for everybody, right? But there's so many, so many pictures of corn you can look at. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good segue, Aaron, because um, while we're on the subject of, um, you know, orthorectification and, and building maps, the second part of, of today will be more about the hardware. Um, <clears throat> You've mentioned a couple different things in terms of sensors. You've mentioned uh, RGB, so the cameras mm -hmm. that, you know, your phone camera. Uh, you've mentioned thermal, you've mentioned infrared. And I think, you know, I, I'm gonna add to that multispectral because, um, you know, the, 
EM spectrum is, is quite wide. Mm-hmm. Um, again, a two-part question. Maybe you can um, briefly explain the, the breadth of spectrum that you guys can capture with your cameras. Mm-hmm. And also speak, maybe speak, and later maybe speak to each one. What, what, what's the value even for a farmer in an RGB image thermal, and then as well the multispectral? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we build camera systems that will cover pretty much any sort of, yeah, any part of the EM spectrum or right now. Um, our own cameras that we build in-house, um, the ones that are loose and branded and we design and put together, are all in what we consider the vis, vis near IR or visible and near IR spectrum. So if we go outside of that and we want to look at UV or um, thermal, uh, we um, leverage other um, companies' cameras for that. They're specialized in that. Um, so, to that extent, what we typically do if a customer comes to us and says we need this is we'll figure out the best way to put together the right set of cameras for that situation. Um, and to give you maybe a concrete example, um, we had a, a customer in the, the Southwest that needed to collect imagery that was identical to Landsat 7, the satellite, um, but they wanted a higher resolution and more frequent. So they came to us with the Landsat 7 specs and were like, can you build a camera system that matches these this, this spectral signature? And we said, yeah. So we'll, we put together a system and had the right types of cameras and the right bands. And um, that was a system that allowed them to, you know, more frequently collect data that was of the same type as the satellite data, but higher resolution. That's phenomenal. Um, we're, I'm quite f- familiar with the the band configuration for Sentinel Two because we offer those images free from SOAR. Mm-hmm, There's mm-hmm. twelve bands going mm-hmm. from kind of the ultraviolet to far-reaching um, infrared. Yeah. How wide? How wide is what is the what is say the band configuration for Landsat Seven? The ones that they were particularly interested in were primarily the red, green, blue, and near infrared. Um, so this was a um, a four camera system on the color side that had one camera for red the red band and it was like forty to fifty nanometers wide. I don't remember what Landsat Seven is off the top of my head, and then one for red, one for green, one for blue, and one for near infrared. Um, so these were each individually monochrome cameras, and um, we've helped you know put together the stitching so they align them all properly and turn them into you know color images for them. That's quite yeah. That's um... That's quite quite amazing. So, was that for a UAV or or um, or manned aircraft? Uh, good question. So, like I think when I mentioned we first started out, we said we were building cameras for drones, and we and we still do. Although uh, we've sh- we shifted uh, early on when we were starting to more light aircraft stuff. So we're these are usually in light sport aircraft, um, small Cessnas and Piper Cubs. That's a large part of our current business. Oh. Uh, okay, I want to um, transition a bit more in, into the hardware because, sure. um, as, as much as the uh, you know the ortho, well, we just don't have enough time. <laughs> there's <laughs> a lot of stuff to cover. Like yeah, there's a lot of there, there is, and um, being in this space, um, I like to point out that every time I do these interviews, I learn something new, um, and certainly I I think all of what I'm learning today is new. Um, let's go on. Yeah, so the the camera that. I think is it fair to say that your acquisition system is 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 the Lucent Twelve, which is the camera, and then um, it's adapted um, based on the uh, the spectrum that it needs to capture. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, yeah, and um, 
as most things go, our website is a little bit out of date. <laughs> mm. um, we're releasing the next, well, pretty much this month, the next month, um, the, the next generation of the Lucent 12, which is um, a 31 megapixel version of it. So a lot of the same sort of capabilities, um, just higher megapixel and different lens mounts on them. So um, when I'm talking about the cameras, will probably a lot of the same things apply to both of those. So we do have kind of multiple um, options for how many megapixels you want, right? If you want to save some money and you're trying to capture lots of smaller frames, we even have a five megapixel offering, but we can currently go up to 31. Um, and those are in our cameras. And I don't know if I want to, if you want me to jump into necessarily like why we did that or what's, what's unique about them or. Yeah, certainly. I had planned to um, kind of run through the specs of the Lucent sure. 12, but as you're on Gen 2, um, maybe you could kind of run through the, the specs and the capabilities of Lucent 12 Gen 2. Yeah, so it's um, it's there's a lot of the stuff that's still very similar. So one of the um, the biggest, the, again, this the, the the what the camera is and why it was designed the way it is is a result of um, a lot of the stuff that we've learned over the last five years. Um, when we first started um, our first camera, the Lucent Eight, the idea was basically that this was going to be a camera that had um, was. Now, I'm going to back up just a little bit further. Um, a lot of the ways you go to put camera systems together on aircraft, whether it's drones or anything else, you can use consumer cameras, and we're, there's a lot of great success in that with the UAV space, and especially with the cameras that um, that are on a lot of DJI drones right now. Um, but they lack a lot of times the capabilities to do the, some of the specialized work that we're doing, right? We need, you know, maybe different band configurations and we want a true monochrome sensor. So when we started out, we had this idea that like, okay, we're going to build this industrial rugged camera. It's going to be, you know, built with wide temperature components. It's going to be sealed. It's going to be, you know, this thing you could, you could dunk it underwater and it'd still be fine. Right. And, but instead it was also going to, or in addition to that, it was also going to have a lot of consumer like features, right? It had autofocus, it had, you know, removable storage. So it was supposed to be the kind of the best of both of these worlds. And uh, as we kind of evolved, what we have now is um, a camera that does still have the best of both of those worlds. You know, it has active lens mounts. We can control autofocus and stuff, but probably the most interesting thing is we combining a lot of our um, image processing capabilities and workflows um, that we're talking about right now directly into the camera. So this is sort of the, the edge computing that you might hear a lot about, right? Is instead of, instead of trying to figure out how to collect all of this data, especially when you're starting to get these very, very large data sets, um, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of images, um, a lot of times that doesn't, you can't move that to the cloud in a reasonable amount of time. So we, our approach um, where it's, where it's most appropriate is to bring a lot of the processing power down directly into the camera where it's actually going to be used for doing image processing on the spot. Um, so I might've gone off topic a little diverged a little bit there, but that's kind of the background as to how we got started with this, uh, why we do these cameras that have all this processing and sort of consumer level features built into the same thing. Okay, so um, I'm going to run through some of the specs that I got on yeah. the uh, Lucent 12, just the, um, the, the to give people an idea of the form factor and mm -hmm. and kind of if they were going to certainly they can be on manned aircraft. Um, mm -hmm. 
but give them an idea of, of what kind of uh, hardware or you know aircraft they would have to mount it on. So to sure. give them a size of how big it is. So it's uh, 500 grams or about 19 ounces. Mm -hmm. And let's see. So um, in terms of di uh, dimensions, yeah, it's just um, about three and a, just under four inches by four inches, like a little cube. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you so can quite, definitely quite... take one of them and still put it on a drone, but maybe not yeah. five of them or six of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it would be it would be quite a drone, you know, if, yeah. if you did that. It would be, um, you know, we're famous in Australia. I don't know if you've seen it on the internet, but there's a bloke who built a heavy lift um, octocopter. I think it's an octo, or maybe it's a, a quad, you know, mm -hmm. but dual motors, a paired, um, as big as he could, mm -hmm. uh, strapped it to a uh, beach chair and was fishing, <laughs> was fishing, flew it, flew it up in the air. His mate flew it up in the air and he was fishing and drinking a, a VB. Um, so it's certainly, uh, have you seen that video? I have. Um, and I'm okay. so afraid of like, large numbers of very shark spinning objects anywhere near me so <laughs> yeah well i suppose with enough vb you'll do anything yeah exactly um okay so um i think that gives people uh just some other things i'll point out it, it's um it's actually you can uh, wi-fi to this um so you can just dump the images uh right away um it also has onboard uh gps um as well i suppose you can uh, connect mm -hmm. it to an external GPS um, made and made, designed and, and built in in Oregon, um, and uh, I think it men mentions here it can do 15 frames a second. And so I guess the the main the main um, difference with the the second generation would be the uh, sensor capabilities. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. So what we um, what we ended up needing to do was you know a lot of times 12 megapixels is fine, but it, uh, having larger options really helps with collect efficiency, like how much imagery you can collect uh, um, in a set amount of time. So if you add more megapixels, that helps that. Um, what we ended up doing was like, we had a lot more interest in putting some of the stuff in UAVs and especially more of our multi-spectral configurations. So one of the things that we're gonna be um, releasing over the next month or two is some options that are much lighter and much smaller. Um, and much more modular. So we can take, you know, two or three 31 megapixels and it'll still be able to be fit on a small lightweight drone um, and kind of pair the configuration down. Um, so we're adding some more options for megapixels. Uh, we're adding um, some more image processing capabilities into the camera um, and really trying to get the system down to apply to a lot more types of aircraft. Um, to give you an idea, like we, we did ship a system out just last year that's destined for Alaska, and it has um, it has one, two, three, four, five. It's a six-band dual swath system um, with a total of nine cameras in it, and it weighs about thirty-five to forty pounds. So you can, I mean, that's that's fine for a light aircraft. That's not going anywhere near most even heavy lift drones, right? So um, we've had some requests to like figure out how to weigh to you know how to shrink all of that down and you know cut a bunch of unnecessary weight out of it so we're we're, we're doing a lot more with um, uav work this year uh, yeah well that's quite exciting well we're getting close to the end of this <clears throat> i saw a phrase on um your website corona detection but i'm guessing that's not what i think it is <laughs> uh it's not um 
we don't have a lot of customers to do this, but basically what this is referring to is um, uh, utility inspection, specifically electrical. And in the UV space, you can um, there's actually um, UV emissions from um, electrical equipment that can be detected with certain cameras. Um, so that gets used in uh, utility inspection a lot. Um, okay, so I guess that's um, they do that to determine if um, the there, there's efficiency or, or power loss or, um, or equipment like failures that. starting to happen. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We do have, um, there's another, another typical use case here is, you know, looking for equipment that's about to fail before it fails, you know, whether this is uh, visual inspection, like does it have cracks or maybe it's, you know, a temperature, right? This, this transformer is running, you know, 20% warmer than all the rest of them. You know, that's an indicator of failure. So this sort of utility inspection is a big application for uh, multispectral imaging systems. Okay, well, I thought we, we, uh, I thought we had the next billion dollar idea right there. But, uh... <laughs> uh, there's a lot of ideas out there and there's a lot of people trying to work on them. So uh, a lot of times it's not necessarily novel, but there's usually a better way to do it or a slightly cheaper way to do it. So that's where we yeah. need to move on. Okay. Well, thank you, Aaron. Thanks for joining us. Um, like I said, we ran out of time. I have, I still have a whole list of questions, but I'll leave those for another time. And so, Aaron, it's been great having you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, it was really great. And like you said, this is a huge space. I mean, you can go down any one of these um, tangents pretty, pretty far. So it's, you did, I think you did a great job trying to keep it uh, where we could talk about it in a reasonable amount of time. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for joining us on the Sarcast and tune in next time for more great uh, jib jab and talk about uh, all things drones and satellites and remote sensing images. So thanks, Aaron. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, guys. All right. Cheers, mate. Bye. That's all we have time for today. Tune in to our next SOARcast for more discussion on geospatial products found on SOAR.